good evening. Let's all stand as we gather together to worship. Before we begin, um, there's a couple of flyers outside at the table in the back. Just to let you know that we have student chapel coming up in a couple of weeks, a couple of Fridays. Come join us. We'll have fellowship, worship, and also some student devo and a potluck. So November 8th, Friday. Amen. Praise his name. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. We've been to church. Amen. It's good to be here. I'd rather be here than in the best cemetery in town. In our passage this, morning, this evening, uh, John's Gospel, chapter 21, is where I wish to draw your attention today. John chapter 21. I love to fish. Now, I do not always catch fish, but I love to fish. In fact, uh, over the years here in Colorado, I would take the girls up to Gunnison. We call it going up to the mountains. And try to catch some trout. Not always successful. And to justify taking another trip again, I would tell the girls it's the process. And after a while, the process became old. And we had to catch some fish to keep them going back. In fact, it got so bad one time, they called it the Warrington Curse. <laughs> you probably like to fish. I know Dr. Rossum does. He, he's the trout man. I've listened to him tell his fish stories. And fish that was this sometimes get to this. I grew up uh, in a village where the men in our village loved to fish. We grew up around the ocean. And uh, our entertainment was to listen to them on, in the moonlight under the mango trees tell the fish stories. And as a young boy, we were captivated. I mean, those guys would tell you how they navigated those little boats on the ocean and the the size of the waves, they were talking like 30, 40 feet, and, and we were just spellbound listening to those fish stories. You probably have your own fish stories. But in our passage tonight, there is a fish story. But it really isn't about fish. Let's, let's look at what's going on in John chapter 20. One. In fact, the ch chapter seems to be a postscript, an appendix of sorts. 
the book of John seemed to have come to a conclusion around verse 29 of chapter 20. And then we have this added. And uh, it, it, it starts us off with afterward. <laughs> uh, that's a good postscript, afterward. Well, after the resurrection, after uh, things had settled down, the folks knew that Jesus was alive. And so afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. And so he's going, uh, John is going to tell us this, uh, the story of this afterward, this postscript in the story of Jesus where John had so wonderfully selected signs, at least seven of those great signs of Jesus, to show that he indeed was the Son of God. And he had done that in the first 20 verses, ended in verse 29, and says, you know, there are so many other things I would have to tell you. Uh, this is, all I have said is to let you know that Jesus is the Son of God, and that if you believe in him, you'll have eternal life. And that ends, we thought, the book. But then there's an afterward. And that's where we are tonight, in this afterward. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus. Didymus means twin. So the, Simon is a twin. So uh, They probably call him twin. Nathaniel, we've learned of him. He is from Cain of Galilee. The man that Jesus said was without guile. Just a beautiful spirit. A special soul so to speak. Uh, there was also Thomas, uh, Nathaniel and, uh, from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together, unnamed. At least seven of them in that little group. Uh, the chapter seemed to divide itself in a little group and then individuals. So let's deal first with the little group. Uh, Simon told them Uh, we'll go with you. This Simon says, I'm going to fish. I want to go fishing. And they said, uh, we'll go with you. It's ironic uh, since Jesus had called him out of that business of fishing. Uh, Jesus had called him to fish men. Uh, but I want you to see the state of mind of Simon and the others in that group. They were restless. The cross had happened, and if you understand what they went through, they had been dejected. They had, and then the resurrection had happened, and they were elated. And, but they could not pinpoint where Jesus is staying, where he, where he would just show up. In fact, verse 14 of our text says, this is the first, third time. This is now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. That was unnerving in itself. Uh, they had been with him for a while, three years, uh, and, and so they could always go to him. They had questions, he would answer them. Uh, they were troubled, he would comfort them. Uh, whatever was going on in their lives, they knew he was there. But not now. He had popped in three times. Twice on the day he was resurrected, and one week later he showed up. And so they were restless, anxious. 
And so the Peter says, man, I can't stand this. I'm going fishing. We would probably do the same thing if we were. We would go back to what feels comfortable in our times of restlessness and anxiety and uncertainty. They, though he had commissioned them and they, they had some idea of what the future was, but he was not around to really help them through this transition of cross and resurrection and mission. He told them to wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem. But, uh, uh, and so in some sense they were being very natural, very human in their sense of uncertainty, anxiety, and sense of restlessness. And the others were in the same boat, no pun intended, and they said, we're going with you. And so they went out, and as the story unfolds, they worked all night long, and they caught nothing. After a bad night, Jesus gives us a good morning. You better believe it. They had toiled and toiled, and so they're coming back to shore in the Tiber, the Sea of Galilee, that Sea of Tiberias is called. And early in the morning, uh, it says, uh, Jesus stood on the shore, and, uh, but the disciples did not realize uh, that it was Jesus. And, and he called to them, said, friends, <laughs> did you catch anything? <laughs> he has a good sense of humor, doesn't he? Uh, no, they answered, uh, and he said, throw your net on the, other si on the right side of the boat and you will find some. You're a carpenter, not a fisherman. We're the experts in fishing, but, so they did. And, and the catch was so great, they couldn't haul the net in because of the large number, the scripture says in verse 6. Uh, wow! Fish! Boy, I'd love to have been in one of those fish-catching conventions like that. <laughs> Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, you know who that is, right? That's his signature. John, the beloved one. He, he said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and head jumped into the water and swam to the shore. And uh, then it says the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, verse 9, they saw a fire burning, a fire of burning coals there with fish on it, and sent some bread. Notice the dialogue that will go on. Notice what's going on, the dynamics of this encounter with Jesus on the shore. 
Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net. Boy, he must have been a strong guy. I mean, the other guys in the boat were struggling to bring the boat, the, the, the net ashore with all this fish because it was large. Simon by himself just went in there, took that thing and went, came right, right. Brought fish to Jesus. And here's what Jesus says. Come and have breakfast. But picture this for a moment with me. Jesus, the Son of God, stooping down, probably blowing that, those coals to get that thing going, to make breakfast for some folks that were, in some sense, in disobedience. He did not chastise them, chastise them. He did not say to them, why are you back fishing? Didn't I call you out of this? Didn't I call you to follow me? And so soon have you forgotten your call? Have gone back fishing? Oh, they needed some TLC. They needed someone to come alongside them fix them breakfast and love them, not chastise them, rebuke them, shun them. No. Jesus will be there to love his servants even in the midst of uncertainty or in the midst of uncertainty he said to them, come and have breakfast. Never a word about, why did you do that? You bonehead folks, why? Have you not learned anything? Have you, have you learned anything that I've said? Come and dine, the master calleth. Come and dine, remember that? He who fed the multitudes turned the water into wine to the hungry hearts he calleth. Come and dine. Come and commune with me. Come. I'm so glad somebody didn't get the brand new idea of making communion fish and chips. I'm glad they didn't. I like the wafers. But Jesus simply loved them. Just like he loves you and me. Even when we fail and falter and are anxious and are uncertain and are restless. And I get a sense that some may be a little restless already, even in this first trimester. But you're wondering, is it, am I where I'm supposed to be? Or do I need to go fishing someplace else? God, are you sure? Yeah, he's sure. And he's not here to rebuke you this evening. He's here to love you and feed you.
and enmesh you, envelope you, tell you that, that he cares about you this morning. And some of you may be starting, but some of you are on the tail end of your NBC experience. I'm looking at Alice back there, Jeremy. And I wonder sometimes, is there some sense of anxiety? Senioritis? That's a disease, you know. And, and if we're not careful, we can lose focus on him. And uh, Jesus wants to help us to stay true to him and to walk with him in, in that sense. But uh, when they were through eating for some the others may still have been eating. Jesus said to Peter, Pete, let's go for a walk. Verse 15. And they're walking, just two of them, on the shore. Can you see them? Peter? Oh, Peter, you, you remember Peter? He was the one that says, Lord, I'll die for you if I have to. I'll die. If any, all of them may forsake you, but I'll, I'm your man. I'll hang with you. We're tight. She says, Peter, son of John, Simon Bar-Jonah, that's how the King James says his eye like that. Son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? I want you to picture this one. I, my imagination goes wild sometimes, but uh, that's, you just have to put up with me. I think Jesus may have made a swoop with his hand that started where Peter was as they were walking on the shore. It encompassed the ocean, came to this little group that was there still eating, finishing up breakfast, and probably went like this over the hill where Peter's little house probably might have been. You know, he was from Fishville, you know, Bethsaida, there on the Tiber. Do you love me more than this? Uh, it, it would be easy to say, well, Jesus meant that do you love me more than the sea and the boat and the nets? And the fish, do you love me more than your little house and your wife and children up on the hill? But I get a sense that Jesus was coming back to Peter's words in John chapter 13. Do you love me more than these men? You remember you said you would die for me. Do you love me? Jesus used a word that uh, we are familiar with, the strongest word for love, agapeo. And Peter did not respond with that word. Now, I use this on Sunday morning, and I have no trouble with it, but tonight I'm having trouble. Peter says, he used the word 
filial. I'm your friend. Or in another way he says, I am emotionally tied to you. Jesus came back and said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. He came back again. Peter or Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you really love me? Use the same word, agapeo. The highest word that you could use. A word that means totally devoted, totally sold out, no questions asked. It's high up there. But Peter's response is still down here. Second time, Peter says, you know I love you. He used the word filial. We get our word Philadelphia from that word. Brotherly love. I love you, God. I'm emotionally attached to you. Feed my lambs, Jesus said. Third time. Jesus comes back again. Wouldn't let it drop. Except this time, Jesus does not use Peter's words, or uh, his own words, agapeo. He uses Peter's word now. Okay. This will do for now, Peter. Do you love me? He uses the word filial. And it says Peter got kind of grieved, hurt, because he asked him a third time. Or could it be that Jesus came down to Peter's words and not the total devoted abandonment to the rule, to the love, to everything, every fiber of one's being to love Jesus? And Jesus agreed and says, okay, Peter, Feed my sheep. He was calling him to the grandest venture of his life, to the great enterprise of shepherding. And so he's calling us. Wow. And, 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 and the idea here this evening, Jesus still calls to the ministry of shepherding his sheep. Whether it's behind a pulpit or in a classroom or counseling or whatever ministry form that may take, all of it is part of the shepherding ministry that Jesus calls us to. But the qualification for shepherding his sheep, whether it's the little ones or the young adults or the senior adults, is a total abandonment and devotion to the Lordship of Jesus. You must love him more than these. More than anything else. Peter probably meant it when he said to Jesus, I will love you to the very end. I will die for you. If, I, if everybody abandons you, I will die for you. I will never forsake you. And Jesus says, Peter, I don't think you know who you are yet. Because before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. John 13, Jesus comes back three times to Peter. 
we're not ready to do ministry until we are sold out for him and love him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and everything that we have. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to me. Take my silver and my gold. Effort, not a mightly light with old. Take my past, my present, and my future, Lord. It's yours. And so, Jesus, the proper response to the ministry of shepherding is total devotion to Jesus. Total. But Jesus isn't through with Peter yet. He isn't through yet. He, he goes on after this. Jesus says to Peter, Truly I say to you, truly I tell you, verse 18, when you were young, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. In other words, you lived selfishly, you did your own thing, you lived your life. You were your own person, Peter, when you were young. You were, uh, you, self-directed, self-governed. Then he said to him, But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. In other words, there will be a, trans a transformation in your life, Peter, that will take you away from the, your, what you used to be to where I want you to be, to who I want you to be. And, and then John helps us with this. He says, he was saying this to Peter to indicate what kind of death by which Peter should glorify, would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. By the way, that's the title of this, the message this evening. Follow me. A rough translation of that simply means Travel with me. Travel with me, Peter. When you were on your own, when you were young, when you, before you encountered me, before you met me, you, you lived your life, you were shifty and impulsive. Well, that never left him. But now, Peter, from now on until you die, you are mine and you're going to travel with me. And John says, he was indicating that what type of death he would die. At the heart of following Jesus for Peter is the cross. The principle of the cross is the unmistakable sign and symbol for the ministry of Peter and our ministry of shepherding. Peter might suffer, and he did. Well, he was simply following Jesus, who himself had suffered on a cross. 
Paul says it a different way, and then I need to wrap up here. Listen to Paul in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Oh, the cross. It stands as the principle on which all our ministry to Jesus flows, especially the ministry of shepherding. Follow me. Follow me to the cross. Amen. Are you following? Are you traveling this evening? Or are you anxious, restless, uncertain? Burdened, I want you to know that Jesus wants to just lavish his love on you. Nurture, nourish your soul and your spirit and let you know that you matter to him. That he loves you with an incredible love. Then he calls you into the ministry of shepherding and now you must love him with an incredible love. You must love him without reservation, with all the devotion that you can master, with all the fiber of your being. You must love him because it is the love of Jesus that will sustain you in the ministry of shepherding. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there is a cross for everyone. And there's a cross for me. Do you love him? Agapeo or filio? Do you really love him? In time, Peter would rise. When you read his book, <laughs> the word agapeo is, is, is peppered all through his book of the love for Jesus that he loved us and we love him back. Amen. He would come to that level. Amen. And so can we. I invite you to bow your head with me for just a moment. Lord Jesus, we love you tonight. But if for any reason our love is short and just emotional, Oh, help us, Lord. Help us to follow you, to travel with you. Help us tonight. Encourage us where we are, each one of us, in our love, in our training, in our time here at NBC. Use us for your glory. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord.